stand for the reading of God's holy and errant powerful word. Hear the word of God to you this morning. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, You want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches." He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, authoritative word. May he bless our hearts with it this morning. You may be seated. My brothers and sisters in Christ, obviously we see that Jesus is using parables here to teach us specifically about the kingdom of heaven. Now, before we look in detail into the parables, we have to see something that's obvious, but we may forget to mention, and that's this, or take note of, I should say. Of course, to have a kingdom, that means you have to have what? A king. And obviously, in this context, as it's been made clear, very clear in the book of Matthew thus far, and will continue to be made clear again and again, Jesus is that king. And in him, the kingdom of heaven invaded the world of men in a grand way when he came to visit us in the flesh 
over 2,000 years ago. And something we have to remember as we look at the parables that's very important, that he's teaching these parables to his small band of faithful followers before the advancement of the New Testament church. So in other words, he's teaching these things to basically he has 12 people looking up at him, and some maybe would-be followers, but he has a very small group that he's addressing about the kingdom. So indeed, his disciples would ask themselves or ask each other things like this. What is the nature of this kingdom that our master has been speaking of? What's it like? What's the nature of its advancement? How does it advance in the world? How is it furthered? How can it be identified? How, How can we know when it's here? What does it look like? And there'd be many other kind of questions that they would ask back then. And that's why Jesus goes into these parables. These questions are just as relevant for us today as they were back then. For instance, in John's gospel, when being questioned by Pilate, Jesus speaks these words about the advancement of his kingdom's reign. Listen. He says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. The old hymn puts it this way. For not with swords loud clashing, nor roll of stirring drums, does the heavenly kingdom come. Well, if it doesn't come like that, right? In the world, that's how kingdoms come, right? It's by the edge of a sword, by the power of force. If it's not going to come like that, Jesus, then how's the kingdom going to come? And that's what Jesus begins with as he goes into a number of parables concerning the kingdom. We looked at the first one a couple times ago when we saw the parable of the the sower. And we saw that the kingdom of God advances through the word of God, through the gospel, as it's sown into the hearts of men, women, and children. We saw there are four different types of soil. We saw that there are three types of soil, that it never comes to fruition. But praise God, there is a type of soil, a good soil, where it takes deep root. It's fertilized, it grows, and it comes to a full head of wheat. And it produces fruit, some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. The kingdom advances, according to Jesus, as people genuinely believe the good news and spread it to others. That's how the kingdom advances. And I want to say one thing before I jump into the, the whole thing this morning, and that's this. In that old hymn that I just quoted, it says, not by swords loud clashing, nor the roll of stirring drums, And then it says, by acts of deeds and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. That's not strictly true, is it? It's a fruit of the coming of the kingdom, the mercy, acts of mercy. But especially for New City Fellowship and our type of churches, we need to understand this. No, the kingdom comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how the kingdom comes. The fruit of that kingdom is exactly what God calls us to do. Mercy, showing mercy, doing good, as God tells us to do throughout the Bible. Loving on folks. But it advances secretly, invisibly, powerfully through the preaching and sharing of the good news of Jesus. Just wanted to say that before we get into the text.
So Jesus continues to speak about the kingdom in the verses that follow. And this time he teaches about how the kingdom will manifest itself as it goes forward into the world. And as we continue into Matthew, digging deeper into Matthew 13, we're going to see a simple thing. The kingdom of of heaven cannot be seen with human eyes, and the kingdom of heaven will gradually rise. You know, as preachers, we like to rhyme. But I'll say it again. The kingdom of heaven cannot be seen with human eyes, and the kingdom of heaven will gradually rise. It's a slow burn, but it will burn. So let's take a look at the first thing Jesus talks about. The kingdom of heaven cannot be seen with the human eyes. And this can be seen in Jesus' parable of the weeds or the tares. We read the parable a few moments ago, and Jesus gave, gives us the, the meaning of the parable as we read in verses 36 to 43. So he doesn't leave us guessing. I'm so thankful so we don't have to worry about commentators all contradicting. Well, this represents that. No, it doesn't. It represents that. No, Jesus tells us what each of these things represent. Praise his name. He comes right out and tells us that the man who sows good seed in his field is the son of man. That's Jesus. The good seed is, are the sons of the kingdom, Christians, believers in the gospel. And the field is not the church, as some interpreters have slipped into, but the field, he tells us, is the world in general, the whole world, world of men. And the enemy who sows the tares, he tells us very plainly, is the devil. And the separating of the two, the wheat and the tares, will not take place, Jesus tells us, until the end of the age. It's just not going to happen clearly in this life. Why? Jesus tells us why. Because while you are pulling out the weeds, you may root up the wheat as well. Interesting. So that's to say, and this is something that that is hard to sometimes wrap our heads around, the kingdom of heaven, especially as obviously in this world, is to some degree hidden. How do you like that? The kingdom of of heaven is hidden. We cannot tell with 100% certainty who should be weeded out and who should remain. That's for God alone. And it's especially important to note that why I mentioned earlier that the field is not the church but the world so that we understand that it doesn't mean we don't exercise church discipline in the church when so-called professed believers are behaving in a manner that shows themselves more to be an unbeliever than a believer. Because as a matter of fact, in Matthew 19, a few chapters later, Jesus himself tells us how to exercise discipline in the church when there is clear unrepentant sin. Remember, if your brother sins against you, we're going to deal with this later. Tell him his fault. If he doesn't listen, take two with you. If he still doesn't listen, take him to the church. If he doesn't listen to a church, you remember what he says. Treat him as you would a tax collector or an unbeliever. So he's not talking about the church. He's talking about the world. So it's it's very interesting to note that in an ultimate sense, the sons of the kingdom will only be manifest at the end of the age. That's when we'll know with 100% certainty who really belonged to Jesus and who didn't, who was in the kingdom and who never really was. Um, I'm just going to do a couple really quick cross-references. You're free to turn with me if you're a good flipper of the pages. If not, just note it and look it up later. Colossians 3.1. 
The Apostle Paul says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And then verse 3, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now listen to this. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So when do you appear clearly? In the sense that that it's shown to everyone. It's when Christ comes. And then you're no longer hidden in Christ. It is seen clearly that you are his with no shadow of a doubt. Romans 8.19, Paul says, The creation waits in eager expectation for what? For the sons of God to be revealed. Now, again, he's not teaching us about Christian assurance. We could personally know, because the Bible tells us that we can know whether we're saved or not. But this is more of how we can tell others and looking out, right? The things that only God knows the heart. This is talking about ultimately. That judgment is ultimately left to him. And notice what he's going to do. Jesus tells us this. He will send out his angels. And they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. See, what's the point of all this? Sometimes we wonder, and it would be very odd if we didn't wonder this. We wonder why evil is so prevalent. The kingdom of God is here, right? Jesus has been 2,000 years, has been spreading. Why is evil still so prevalent? Why is it so hard for us, many instances, to distinguish between the sons of God, right? And the sons of the devil, sometimes, in this world. As one commentator puts it, though now scarcely distinguishable from one another, one day, at the final judgment, the sons of the kingdom will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. In other words, it's a tremendous encouragement to us to keep on following, to keep on believing, to keep on turning from evil and guarding our hearts because we know that now it might be hard to see the difference. But on that great day, the difference will be absolutely crystal clear. No wonder And it even says here that the sons of the kingdom will shine like the sun in, our, in, in the Father's kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, man, but if you ever tried looking at the sun and just staring at it, that's one bright star. And what God is saying here is that his people, the ones he plants, they're going to shine like that. On that day, there will be that great separation. There will be a day of reckoning when they will weed out of his kingdom, the angels will, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Look at verse 42. They will throw them into the fiery furnace. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm not thinking little cherub angels, little fat babies with little wings when I read this, to be quite frank. I'm thinking of more sci-fi is getting a little closer where there are these fierce beings of pure light 
that do the will of their Holy Father and they stand in the presence of God and that are awesome. The kind of angel that goes to talk to Daniel and he falls down like a dead man and his body's like a corpse and the angel has to touch him to strengthen him just so he can stand back up and, and then get, fall back down again. These are the angels. You remember Sodom and Gomorrah who destroyed it? Angels. But also remember, the angels were the ones that ushered the people of God out. And that's Jesus is saying that was, and it is true, that was a typology of the end when Jesus will send his holy angels and he will separate the wheat from the chaff. And the issue here is it's the clear teaching of the Bible. It's the clear teaching of not only the Bible in general, but it's the clear teaching of Jesus in particular. Out of everybody in the Bible, who talks the most about this? Hands down, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He does. It is a part of the Christian message. There may be some ambiguity now, but there will be none then. We need to see this. You know, it never ceases to amaze me about my own sinful heart, but also sometimes the hearts of my brothers and sisters in the church. When we tell the truth, Sometimes we get kicked back. We get, re- we, we get rebuffed. Amen? We get persecuted. And then we kind of go back in the corner. Oh, well, why did that happen? <laughs> but the, the truth of the matter is, when we preach the gospel, it is an offense. Isn't it? It will offend people. Right? It will convict. The world it will not be always happy when we stand for the gospel as it's been given to us through the scriptures. And we have to be willing to take the hit. We don't have that luxury or whatever you want to call it to say, well, let's see what in the Bible I like and that I'll believe. And let's see that what in the Bible is distasteful and that I'll just throw out. No, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking. Positively, it's an encouragement to know, listen to this, that Jesus sows the sons of the kingdom and that if deed we are walking by faith in him, it's because of his grace and his mercy. The words we read earlier from 2 Timothy 2.19, I want to remind you of them. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. Isn't that an encouragement? And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. You want assurance that you are wheat and not a tear? Turn away from wickedness. Can I get an amen? That's part of it. You're a true believer. No, we're not perfect. Yes, we're works in progress. But I'll tell you what. We are called to holiness by his grace. And to turn away from wickedness. To prove that we are indeed his. We're not saved by good works, but if we are saved, good works come. But for now, the kingdom cannot be seen with human eyes. And so the wheat and the tares will continue to grow up together, live in the same world, and the sons of the kingdom will have to struggle, that's what Jesus is saying here, in such a fallen, mixed world until the end of the age when God will put things right through King Jesus. That's what we have to understand and believe and cling to. How often I hear folks saying, I'm sure in my own heart I've said it myself, but when, Lord? 
when you see the injustice, when you see a whole church being kicked out of a country through persecution and almost annihilated. When, O oh Lord, enough. We wonder when. And it's clear, Jesus' answer is, until he comes again, the wheat and the tares will live in the same world. And just as we are furthering our cause, the devil will continue to further until he comes. We have to live in this situation. Eugene Peterson puts it this way, as long as we think the next election might eliminate crime and establish justice, or another scientific breakthrough might save the environment, or another pay raise might push us over the edge of anxiety into a life of tranquility, we are not likely to risk the arduous uncertainties of the life of faith. Isn't that powerful? In other words, Christians of all people, we don't live for the next election. You get that? We don't live for the next scientific breakthrough. Hey, if we have a godly uh, leader, praise God. If there is a breakthrough that helps us against a certain disease, praise God. But that's not our hope because we know this world in its present form is perishing. Our calling is to spread the invisible kingdom that does show its fruit here on earth. And that's why it's not to say, let me say this, it's not to say we're not to strive to be the preservatives in society that Jesus says we are, right? He said that in Matthew 5, we are the salt of the earth. It doesn't mean we don't look for progress in the city, the society we live and minister in. It just means that our ultimate hope is in the kingdom of God that won't come in its fullness until Jesus comes again. That's what it means. Paul puts it this way, 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You see the contrast? The contrast is we are striving to live a godly life, and with that we get persecution. But at the same time, living next to us, our neighbors, some of them, even our friends and, and our enemies, they're gonna, many of them will be going from bad to worse. You understand that? It's, it's happening at the same time. The wheat, the tares. That's what's going on. While the, fathers of the, while the sons of the kingdom excuse me, are going about their father's business, so the sons of the evil one will continue to do their thing. And we will coexist side by side until the final day. Now here's the, the cool thing. Then we'll go to our second and last point, and it's not as long as the first one, so don't be nervous. Whether it's Atlantic City or Ocean City, a city where this isn't the case doesn't exist on this side of glory. In other words, that mixture is happening in Ocean City just like it is in Atlantic City. You get me? There is no city of God on earth where there's this perfect peace. So the city of God, the kingdom of heaven, is in this world hidden. But the second thing that I want to show you and the last thing is that the kingdom of heaven will gradually rise. And Jesus tells us this through two parables of the mustard, the one of the mustard seed and the one of the yeast. Uh, Look with me in verses 31 to 32. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. So the next two parables speak to the nature of the kingdom's growth in the world. 
And it was especially needed when Jesus first spoke these words, since he had only gathered a small group of believing Jews. And listen to this. When you put them, his crew, next to those who were in Judaism and even other world religions of his day, let's just say the numbers were discouraging, (laughs) to say the least. So he encourages them with this fact that just as a tiny mustard seed slowly grows into a huge tree to bless all the creatures of the air, and just as a little yeast works its way through the whole batch of dough, so the kingdom of heaven will grow in the world and be a blessing to many. The book of Acts only begins to show how his teaching began to be fulfilled in a very concrete, real way on the world stage, right? Started from a group of 12, then it was a group of 120, then it was a group of a couple thousand, and then it continued to grow and spread throughout the world. Now, it didn't spread. Sometimes we romanticize it like, oh, it was just, you know, at the same time there was great persecution, wasn't there? But it's beautiful to see how the kingdom of heaven began to grow and continues to grow throughout the world. And it becomes a large tree, as it has throughout history, where others can come and perch in the branches and find rest, find respite, find refuge, find mercy. And here's the powerful thing. As imperfect, as faltering, and as weak as the church on this side of glory sometimes is, she blesses the weak. She gives refuge to the weary, and she helps the broken. This has been true throughout the ages since the kingdom of heaven started as a seed and has spread throughout the earth. Think about this, and this is, I've I've mentioned this before, but you really need to, to wrap your head around this and really let it sink in. Who started, in so many areas of the world, especially in modern times, who started the hospitals to care for the weak and the sick? Who started orphanages, not only in this country, but in India and in many other areas? Christians, the church of Jesus. Who takes care of the blind, the lepers? It's those who have faith in Jesus, the the church that grew to be a blessing to the birds of the air. And especially we need to see it's through the local churches that are spread throughout society since the days of when it first began with a few Jewish fishermen, tax collectors, and zealots. Michael Green puts it this way. What an encouragement these parables must have been to Matthew's despised and struggling churches. They address with enormous confidence three questions that pressed upon them. Why is the response to the gospel so mixed? Why does evil prevail? Why is the kingdom of Jesus so so insignificant and hidden? And the answer is the Lord reigns. Doesn't he? Through the gospel and it's spread. Remember that old hymn, Jesus shall reign wherever the sun doth his successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. (laughs) And we read about the parable he mentioned about the yeast. So I'm going to just jump right into that without reading it because we already read it. 
what the early Jewish believers had a hard time understanding and so many today still have a hard time grasping is that this. The kingdom of heaven didn't come with a great big bang. Right? It came as a slow burn. Or better yet, as with the parable of the yeast, it came with slow permeation. The InterVarsity Prez NBC commentary puts it this way. A handful of yeast eventually permeates a large amount of flour. So God's work, the kingdom of heaven, may appear unimpressive at first, but appearances can be deceptive, and no one will be able to ignore it in the end. In the meantime, the disciples must be patient. Human valuation misses the point. Little becomes great when God is at work. And I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I need to hear that. Little becomes great when God is at work. This is what John the Baptist had to learn. Remember when he expected the big bang, the evangelism explosion? And he, he tells, his, tells his disciples, hey, can you go ask the master? Is, uh, is there someone else maybe we should be expected? Right? And what was Jesus' answer? The blind see, the lame walk. Not, not what we would have thought of. We wanted political, you know, come on and take over. We too have to remember as we hold forth the word of life to our family, our neighbors, our community in the world that the kingdom has come, that it is coming, and it definitely will be consummated. That's the hope. There will be a day when we won't have to say any more. Listen to me. How long, O oh Lord? When will justice come? When will evil get what they deserve? Because here's the issue. Yes, we don't want justice. We want mercy. But for those who definitively refuse that mercy again and again. There is justice. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. God is holy. He's good. He hates evil. He's taking care of it. And if you don't receive his um, provision, then there is no other choice for the king. Let me close with the great encouragement of these parables. I want you to think and meditate on it this week because it encourages me. Who plants the sons of the kingdom? Who sows the good seed of the word of salvation? Who plants the mustard seed of the kingdom that grows into the great tree that blesses the world? Guess what? It ain't you. And it ain't me. It's Jesus. Isn't that an awesome encouragement? is that Jesus planted you. He planted us. He planted his true church. And by his grace, he finishes what he starts. That's tremendous encouragement. It's tremendous encouragement for those who have taken his word, taken him at his word and have believed him, to know that we will shine like the sun in our Father's kingdom, not because of anything we've done, but because of what he's done. And because we are his very own children that he planted here to make a difference, to bear fruit. So that on our tombstone it will say, and when he had served or she had served God's purpose in her life, she fell asleep or he fell asleep. Amen? Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for the kingdom of heaven. We thank you that even though it cannot be seen with human eyes, it will continue to slowly rise until the day you send your angels to do your will and to separate the wheat and the, the tares. And Father, we long for the day of our Lord's second coming. We long for the day when we won't have to wrestle anymore with sin and and fight the evil one and his works. But Father, at the same time, we are honored and privileged, Lord, to be your people here who you spread and sow your word through. So we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth here as it is in heaven, Lord. We pray it for us as individuals, as families represented here, as a small church plant that you've planted here as a mustard seed, Lord. And we ask that it would grow to be a mighty tree, Lord, that would bless not, that would bless not only Atlantic City, but as it has already, that it would bless others throughout New Jersey, throughout the country, and throughout the world. Oh, Jesus, strengthen and use your church, we pray. It's in your name. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.